0: i going to church. My name is Jordan, part of the staff team here. The first thing I want to do is just celebrate all of our students and just this Youth Sunday. So many great seniors who are participating in the leadership of what's going on uh, with leading worship in our announcements and as you've just seen them up until this point. So um, students, I'm proud of you. Um, you are all following Jesus in the best way that you can and know how, and that's all I can ask for, that's all your parents can ask for. So just continue to mature yourself in this way. So thanks for leading us this morning, and just another huge thank you to Isaiah, uh, someone that you're not seeing a ton of on on this video, but does a ton of work behind the scenes. So um, when you see him or if you're connected to him on any kind of social media, just send him a thank you, because that man works tirelessly. He loves our students. He loves Jesus. And he just wants to make sure that days like this uh, reflect our student ministry well, but as well as reflects the glory of of who Jesus is. So um, uh, I'm just so thankful for them and this team. So thanks for joining us on this youth Sunday. Secondly, I just want to say happy Father's Day. Uh, Again, so many dads out there who sacrifice so much. So thank you so much for loving Jesus, loving your families, and being able to fight for, for what is right. And may God continue to bless you and give you the courage to be able to do the things that you do extremely well. All right, so this morning, we're continuing our Colossians series, and so we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, so if you want to take a minute to go grab your Bible, grab your notes, whatever you need to do, go grab that, uh, open up to Colossians chapter 2, you can bookmark it, and, uh, and we'll open it together in a few minutes. So uh, as we get going, I just want to pray, I want to lead us well into what God has for us, and hopefully we could just see um, who Jesus is in the most beautiful way, and just be encouraged by, by Him. Um, I know who I am, uh, and so I I know that, I I just hope and pray that God uses me beyond what, um, what I feel like my capabilities are. Let me pray. God, we are all over this city right now, listening to this, watching this, engaging with this, and God, you have the ability to use these words in this avenue, in these homes, or with these community life groups of people, you have the ability to use this for your namesake and for your glory. You're not confined to a building. Though we long for the day we could be back in the building together, you are not confined to that place and you have the ability through your spirit to meet us where we are. So many of us are watching this, feeling so many different emotions or experiences um, or, or just experiencing life in different ways. But God, the beauty of your word is it impacts us right where we are. And Holy Spirit, you are not void of that. So use these times and these moments this day to bring glory to the name of Jesus. May we see God in his infinite worth and in who he is. And may our lives be changed as you just interact with us as we open your word today. So God, thank you for being who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as we get going, I got a couple questions for you. Um, First of all, if you have kids who are five years old or older, um, what has been your greatest challenge in parenting? All right, second question, related, but also for those of us who maybe aren't parents, uh, we, we can connect to this second question. What's something that your parents have done that you said you will never do when either you become a parent or uh, as you parent? (laughs) A lot of what we do as humans, uh, it's learned behavior. And fortunately, slash unfortunately, what our parents do and how they parent us, it tends to show up in the things that that we do. And if you haven't had the privilege to be a parent, and maybe one day, uh, Lord willing, you are, uh, you'll see these things creep up inside of you. Maybe you won't do that thing that you said that you'll never do, that your parents uh, did with you, but you will see yourself, you'll look at yourself through the mirror and you'll be like man I am my mom or I am my dad and some of those are in positive ways but uh, there's going to be many negative ways that these things show up in our lives one of these things came up inside me just recently one of the things I said I was never going to do as a parent is become one of those because I told you so parents you know what I mean I I was raised with the principle that whatever mom and dad said, you can't question. It's just obedience. You just do what they say. And it was good. Like, I learned a lot of good things in the midst of that. But that kind of mentality drove me nuts because there's things my parents did that didn't connect with my logic on why it made sense for this and that. Anytime I said, why mom and dad, I learned pretty quickly on, there's a quick response, because I told you so. Um so not wanting to be that dad, I've learned to be a lecturer because I want to be able to explain everything. And, my, and that's what drives my kids nuts. I'm sure of it. If you ask them, it's not because I'm an I told you so kind of a dad. It's because I'll sit down and I'll explain everything and I'll just become a lecturer. And uh, I, as you know me, I can talk forever and ever, right? No, but seriously though, like I wanted to foster a relationship with my kids. Uh, When something didn't make sense, um, I I wanted to give them freedom and and safety to be able to push back, right? No is never actually a legitimate pushback. No is actually defiance, right? But um, what Stacy and I did with our kids is we told them early on that if we tell you to do something and, and you don't agree with it, you can ask one time why, why, Mom? Why, Dad? Now, the key here is, is they can ask one time because they can ask why over and over and over again, and that just starts driving you to a place that you never really want to be. That, um, that, that intent of wanting to know and, and see the logic just drives into disobedience and defiance, and they just always ask why all the time. But I wanted to have that open dialogue with my kids. I've really fought hard to have this relationship really with all three of my kids to create open dialogue. When I hurt them, I want them to feel safe to let me know about it. And either I can apologize to them or I can explain where I was coming from. In my mind, this makes a lot of sense. And I've seen some success in this in just parenting my kids. But in return, I want to be able to tell them how they have hurt me, right? This is open dialogue. Whenever I get to share how um, they hurt me and how they get to share how I have hurt them through a discussion that I've had with my oldest son just recently, um, I discovered that I have a problem. And my problem is I, I like to nitpick every little thing. In the spirit of wanting to just be able to talk about the things that frustrate me, annoy me, I begin to get, I begin to get nitpicky. As a parent, like, we're, we're always learning. We're never going to do things right from the very beginning. As much as our kids are learning, we are learning all the way through it. The tension that I feel is that God has given me the responsibility to parent my kids. I know it's not my goal to be their best friend. The reality is is, is I want to be their friend, but it's not my goal to be their best friend. So I want to parent my kids well, but uh, on the other side of that, I know that God has given me the responsibility to lead my kids to be adults. In the way that I parent my 16-year-old, it can't be in the exact same way that I parented him whenever he was six. And this is the, the, the frustration that I felt inside of me. And I just, I've seen how hard and how difficult it is to be able to let go and to be able to lead my kid to become an adult, right? And I strive for these things, but I fail often. It's Probably the hardest thing that I'm going through right now as a dad. My biggest takeaway from my discussion with Austin is that um, every negative thing that I say to him, everything that I point out, everything that I nitpick, every single thing that I point out that's negative, it outweighs a dozen of positive things that I say to him. Austin and I have a great relationship. It doesn't mean that my actions don't hurt him. In my desire to have open communication, the voice that Austin has heard from me is that I don't approve of him, that I'm disappointed in him as a son. And this is the absolute furthest thing from the truth. But the reality is is part of my actions spoken into that, into him, Unintentionally, unintended consequences. Now, Austin is also the type of person that, um, that, that goes way too far mentally and will take things too far, and, um, and he'll read into situations that I'm disappointed in things that I never said I was disappointed in. But the reality is the things that I can control, the things that I can have impact into, I know that I can change. I don't ever want him to feel like I'm disappointed in him as a son. Part of his identity is that he's a failure. That is not true at all. The voices that come at us from all angles, whether it's from marriage, parenting, relationships, friendships, work, Inside the church, many of these voices, they speak positive value to us. But unfortunately, there's a lot of them that have negative impacts into us as well. These negative impacts are the ones that tend to be the loudest voices in our lives. All of us. All of us handle these negative impacts differently. But they still impact us as we're looking at today's passage of scripture in, in Colossians chapter 2 um, our brothers and sisters in the church in Colossae they're, they're, they're young in their faith and they're experiencing negative voices towards them some of these voices have come from the culture and that's what we talked about um, two weeks ago whenever we we looked at the scripture right above what we're, we're going to be today But what we're going to see today is also some of these negative voices come from people inside the church as well. Today we're going to see how these voices that come from uh, Jewish brothers and sisters to our Greek brothers and sisters in Colossae, how these words have had a negative impact on them. And the Apostle Paul, writing this letter to the church in Colossae, wants to remind them of what is absolutely most important. Remember negative words come into our hearts and into our minds and they lead us to think and feel and respond in specific ways and it happens inside the church and it happens outside the church so how can we strive to be a people that follow jesus and love jesus the best way that we can and also don't allow these negative voices to impact us in the way that they have in the past. Here's my main point. Here's the one thing I want us to grasp all throughout this sermon today is I never want us to lose sight of the essence of the gospel. Hear that again: don't lose sight of the essence of the gospel. Now, the gospel itself impacts us in so many different ways, on so many different levels, but we cannot overcomplicate the essence of the gospel because in its essence, it is its core that we, (laughs) broken sinners, just that we are sinners so when we make bad choices in our in our everyday life or in our thought process and the actions that we have against other people we cannot be surprised by that because at our core we are sinners And the essence of the gospel says that not that you need to be perfect but that jesus came in dying on the cross has been perfect in your place and when he is perfect in your place you don't have to be perfect because he is perfect for you No, again, we could go on so much, like, what does that mean for us? How do we behave after knowing that? There's so much good conversation to have around that. But today's sermon is going to really all center on, do not lose sight of the essence of who Jesus is. We allow these outside things to impact us. We allow Satan and his lies to tell us who we are. If you see Satan all throughout Scripture, what you'll see is he'll take things that are absolutely true and he'll twist them and he'll turn them into a lie and convince you that it's true about you. Let's just take this for an example. You're not good enough. There's a biblical principle there. There's something extremely true there. You're not good enough for Jesus bar none. Satan will take that and twist that and make you feel shame, make you feel anger, make you feel fear, and make you run and hide just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. But the truth is that God wants you to hear, which is the essence of Satan's lies, is that you're not good enough But Jesus came in this world to be in your place so that you don't have to be. When God sees you, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, he sees his son. So you don't have to be perfect because Jesus has done that for us. So that's what I want to speak into today is these lies that we believe either internally or that people speak against us because our brothers and sisters in Colossae are feeling the exact same way. All right, so you got your Bibles. Turn to Colossians chapter Uh, 2. What you need to know about this before we really dive too much into this is uh, much like the entire book of Galatians, these Jewish followers of Jesus were adding essential behaviors to the gospel. They're saying to be a legit follower of Jesus, then you need to A, accept Jesus, but also you need to follow these dietary restrictions that we have within our law, and then you also need to keep the Sabbath, and then you also need to be circumcised. If you see really what these Jewish leaders are doing, they're saying you need to accept Jesus and do all these other things if you're ever going to be acceptable inside of Jesus' sight. Which this is causing turmoil inside of these Greek-speaking people who didn't grow up with the law. So they don't know what to do with this at all. Now, before we put too much blame and cast um, shame on our Jewish brothers and sisters who are doing this, remember that it's only been about 20 years. When this letter was written, it's only been about 20 years since Christ has uh, been crucified and resurrected. For almost 1,500 years of the Jewish history, that's what they were taught, that the law is what provides salvation. So it, it, it makes sense that they're thinking this way. And it even makes sense to say that they're going to put it on these new churches who are starting. So logically you can connect it. But what Paul's going to say is Jesus changed everything. So what you think is essential for the gospel is no longer essential. But let's just see a broader and a bigger scale of what God is doing inside of the entire book that we hold in our hands from cover cover. To cover, and that's what I hope we see. So Colossians chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 16. I just want to skim 16 and 18. It says, therefore do not let anyone pass judgment on you. I've given you the context. You, you know where we're going with this. Verse 18 says, let no one disqualify you. Again, so that's where we're starting off is, uh, have we felt people have passed judgment on us? Do we pass judgment on ourselves? Do we feel like we've that people disqualify us? Or do we disqualify ourselves? Man, really deep truth for us to grab here, no matter what your personality type is. Here's the very first thing that I want us to get. The first point I want us to make as we just dive into this is, is this. The ultimate purpose of the Old Testament law is to foreshadow Jesus. Everything that was written in the Old Testament it had great purposes of living out within that time, in that time period. But living where we're living today, what we're able to see is that all of that has foreshadowed Christ. Let's just read this. Verse 16, um, 16 and 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. But are these are a shadow of the things to come but a substance belonging to Christ. Paul is saying the entire law given by Moses in the first five books of the Bible all foreshadow who Jesus is fulfilled in Christ. And we can even look at Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, where he says that I have come not to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. In other words, the law has purpose. We can't just throw it away into a trash can. It's good. We need to be Old Testament Christians as much as we are New Testament Christians. But we see the law differently because of who Christ is. And Jesus said that about himself we also can can flip over to Luke chapter 24 after Jesus was crucified and resurrected um He, the resurrected Jesus, found himself walking with these couple of dudes who were walking on the street to Emmaus. So Luke 24, dudes are walking to Emmaus, and Jesus shows up, and these guys don't even know who Jesus is. And in their conversation, Jesus is explaining the entire Old Testament, starting with the law and the prophets. The scripture says that Jesus is saying all of these things point to the Messiah, point to Jesus, point to who he is. And Paul is now reminding our brothers and sisters in Colossae that don't lose sight of him. The law, um, the law isn't supposed to shame you, but it's supposed to show you how much you need Jesus. We don't throw the law in the trash can. We see it for what it is. It has a purpose. say you're not perfect but that's what illuminates the beauty of jesus all right as we move forward let's look at the second thing jesus alone is who grows the church let's look at verse 18 let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism of worship uh, and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by sensuous minds and not holding fast to the head from um, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and its ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Um, The super spiritual people, these Jewish people that Paul's talking about, the super-Christians, the super-spiritual ones. They go on and on about the things that they have done. They go on and on about the things that they have seen. They want to look extremely pious. And thinking charitably about them, that's what they were taught. That's what they saw the religious leaders and the, and the rulers doing, right? And so they're doing that before their new brothers and sisters. I think that they did that with the best intent, but it has negative impacts. What they're saying to these people is if you're not like us, if you're not doing the things that we are doing, then you don't measure up. You don't deserve this Jesus that has been presented to you. If you're not like me, then you don't have it all together. That's what super spirituality does. Look at me. I got it. I got it together, right? And these people are looking at it going, is that true? And Paul's saying, no. He has a word for these people. Again, looking at verse 19, he says, hold fast to the head. Don't be puffed up by all of these actions and these behaviors. But he's saying, uh, hold fast to the head, capital H. In other words, he's saying, hold fast to Christ. If you're this super spiritual person, you're missing who Christ is. So you, Colossae, church in Colossae, hold fast to who Christ is. And when you do that, when you know who Jesus is, the essence of the gospel, and you live from that place, and then the whole body grows together. It is knitted together and nourished. Thinking about all the joints and all the ligaments growing together in perfect unity, growing to this place that... that. uh, um, it, it's just a place of strength. And I love how, God, or not, how uh, Paul ended this. And he says that all of this growth that comes from all of these places is not of your own doing. He says, this is the growth of God. When we live in the essence of the gospel, when we can silence the voices that either we hear from other people or that we have inside of ourselves that Satan's whispering to us, that's where God has the ability to do something in you that you can never do for yourself. Man, this is the power of the gospel, the power of the gospel that I'm not ashamed of, Romans 1.17. So, as we're reflecting on this point, you know, are, are you someone who in your spirituality has lost sight of Jesus? I mean, is, is looking pious, Is looking super spiritual more important to you than meeting people where they are and caring for people around you? Have you let other people's perception of this idea of being perfect, have you let other people's perception of you needing to be perfect, have you let that disqualify you from Jesus? If you let that lead you to a place of being jaded, I can't give up on Jesus, but man, I stopped following him because I just can't ever measure up. Man, we can never lose sight of the importance of living authentically. That's the challenge here. How do we live authentically where people around us can see our failures? and can see our successes, and see in us that we can't do all of these super spiritual things, but it's God with inside of us, shaped by who Jesus is, that makes us who we are. Jesus alone grows the church together, which leads us to this third point. Jesus alone leads to life if you have seen and experienced the beauty of Jesus, don't let other people's actions define you. And also do not let these voices that you let um, spiral inside of you define who you are. Come back to Jesus if this is your experience. Or rest in Jesus if you're wrestling in this place. Because this is not who you are. All of these voices that you may be listening to. Who you are is a child of God. Let's look at verse 20 uh, 20 through 23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, why as if you are still alive in this world do you submit to regulations? do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to the things that all perish uh, as they are used according to human precepts and teachings verse 23 these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh this spirituality has the appearance of wisdom being uber pious has a mask of being uh, of being super wise but it has no value in stopping our sin nature let's just look at what we know about the pharisees right the pharisees looked spiritual but they absolutely missed christ the pharisees killed authenticity because there's just all of these rules that you have to follow and if you don't follow those then you are not worthy of god authentic people is who jesus says when you live before me in a way where you are owning your own sin nature then i'm able to come in and do something amazing and great so own your authentic lifestyle do not be like the pharisees that breed pride or that breed arrogance or that breed legalism jesus alone is the one that leads to christ all right kind of putting all this together and wanting to end well um here's my encouragement for us as we look to uh, apply this and um put this deep inside of our hearts here's the reality is that the church grows when followers of jesus live authentically so three quick things Don't let other people's legalism, and don't even let your own legalism tell you who you are. When you, when the gospel exposes your sin nature, do not allow yourself to run to shame. Do not allow yourself to run to fear. Do not allow yourself to run to anger. I mean, I could be wrong here, but I think every single one of us run to one of those three places when we feel exposed. Either we want to run and hide in shame like we know Adam and Eve did, or when we feel exposed, we are um, so angry that we blame shift. and we want, to, we, want, we want to put that blame on other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Or maybe we're so filled with fear that we have to double down on the decisions that we have made just to prove that we have made the right decisions. This is part of our sin nature. This is what leads us to not understand who Christ is. This is the legalistic way of living, right? So when you feel anger, when you feel fear, when you feel shame, what do we do? we run to Christ, and we become exposed. The place where you feel the most exposed is the place where the gospel has the greatest impact in your life. Own it before Christ. Because when you do, he will change you forever and for his glory. But whenever we push that things off in the way that our personalities tend to do, we'll, we'll be stunted. And at worst, we'll miss Jesus altogether. When we don't live authentic, authentically, it breeds doubt in front of us. When we have to live a certain way or pretend, right, it breeds doubt inside of us because it never allows us to ask good questions. It shuts down these essential questions because we feel like we should already have the answers already. And so I can't ask these questions, right? It makes you feel inferior because there's these other people who are living out this way, and I see them, and they obviously love Jesus, and I don't. So therefore, I'm the wrong one here. The reality is, is that when you doubt, and when you question, and when you fail, this is when Christ is most beautiful. So do not listen to your inner voice that is lying to you. Do not listen to the legalistic voices that say you need to be one way or another. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who speaks to you through his word. Plant yourself in the word of God to know who he is and allow the Holy Spirit to lead you well. Listen to wisdom, but don't let them people define you because God is the one that has the power and the ability to to define who you are. So don't let other people's legalism, or don't even let your own legalism tell you who you are. Secondly, don't let Satan define you. You are a child of God and shush that voice in your head that you're not good enough, that you don't measure up, Shush that voice that you're not right and you're never going to get it right. Those are truths. That's where the gospel is powerful. Don't let Satan's lies define who you are. And lastly, fight to see Jesus as Paul described Jesus. As we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we, we gain knowledge, and we're supposed to. I've always said that, that this book, as it defines who God is, is like the ocean. And as we gain knowledge of, of who God is, it's like the ocean to where we can put our feet inside of, of just the, the first five, ten feet of the ocean and feel refreshed, We can look out to the magnitude of of where the ocean goes and just be blown away by just its vastness. But it's totally different whenever you walk out into it, 50 feet, 100 feet, 500 feet, 500 miles from shore, and you can dive deep into the depths of Scripture. So we need to go to that place because God tells us who he is. And so it is irresponsible for us as far as Jesus to just be okay with mediocrity, mediocrity. But we can never lose sight of the essence of the gospel. We can't let that knowledge change our definition of who Christ is and who he is for you. Again, love this this verse of what Paul said about Jesus. And I'm going to end with this as we just sit and rest and are led into worship. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, everything was created in heaven and on earth. Get this, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created for Jesus and by Jesus. Do you see who he is in the midst of all of creation? He has power and he has authority to say who you are. All of these things are before Christ and all of these things are held together by Christ. Jesus is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and in everything he might be preeminent. He surpasses all things, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Don't lose that peace, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Why? Because through the cross of Christ, he is reconciling you, the way that you are right now, the way that you feel today, he is reconciling you to himself. Don't allow our culture's voice, don't allow voices from are from inside the church that are not right to define who you are. Let's pray. God, may we see these truths. God, may we know these truths. And most importantly, God, may we believe these truths about who you are and about who we are in you. May this truth not stop at this knowledge. Let it be the beginning place of us as we seek to just live for you to the world around us and to love our brothers and sisters that we go to church with. Get our eyes off of us and put them on you. And when we see you, may we see everyone else that you desire us to see, to live for you and for your glory. We love you. Lead us to worship you and sing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.